Chapter fifty two of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lieber. Chapter fifty two Major Scarsby's Visit. Down the crowded thoroughfare of the Borgo Dognasanti the tide of carnival mummers poured unceasingly hideous masks and gay dominoes ludicrous impersonations and absurd satires on costume abounded and the entire population seemed to have given themselves up to merriment and were fooling it to the top of their bent bands of music and chorus singers from the theatre filled the air with their loud strains and carriages crowded with fantastic figures moved past pelting the bystanders with mock sweetmeats and covering them with showers of flour it was a season of universal license and short of actual outrage all was permitted for the time nor did the enjoyment of the scene seem to be confined to the poorer classes of the people who thus for the nonce assumed equality with their richer neighbors but all even to the very highest mixed in the wild excitement of the pageant and took the rough treatment they met with in perfect good humour dukes and princes white from head to foot with the snowy shower went laughingly along and grave dignitaries were fain to walk arm in arm with the most ludicrous monstrosities whose gestures turned on them the laughter of all around occasionally but it must be owned rarely some philosophy of a sterner school might be seen passing hurriedly along his severe features and contemptuous glances owning to little sympathy with the mummery about him but even he had to compromise his proud disdain and escape as best he might from the indiscriminate justice of the crowd to detect one of this stamp to follow and turn upon him the full tide of popular fury seemed to be the greatest triumph of the scene when such a victim presented himself all joined in the pursuit nuns embraced devils environed him angels perched on his shoulders mock wild boars rushed between his legs his hat was decorated with feathers his clothes inundated with showers of meal or flour hackney coachmen dressed as ladies fainted in his arms and semi-naked bacchanals pressed drink to his lips in a word each contributed what he might of attention to the luckless individual whose resistance if he were so impolitic as to make any only increased the zest of the persecution an instance of this kind had now attracted general attention nor was the amusement diminished by the discovery that he was a foreigner and an englishman impertinent allusions to his nation absurd attempts at his language ludicrous travesties of what were supposed to be his native customs were showered on him in company with a hailstorm of mock bonbons and lime pellets till covered with powder and outraged beyond all endurance he fought his way into the entrance of the hotel d'italie followed by the cries and laughter of the populace cursed tomfoolery confounded asses cried he as he found himself in a harbour of refuge what the devil fun can they discover in making each other dirtier than their daily habits bespeak them i say cried he addressing a waiter is sir horace upton staying here well will you say major scarsby 
be correct in the name major scaresby requests to pay his respects his excellency will see you sir said the man returning quickly with a reply from the end of a room so darkened by closed shutters and curtains as to make all approach difficult a weak voice called out ah scaresby how do you do i was just thinking to myself that i couldn't be in florence since i had not seen you you are too good too kind sir horace to say so said the other with a voice whose tones by no means corresponded with the words yes scaresby everything in this good city is in a manner associated with your name its intrigues its quarrels its loves and jealousies its mysteries in fine have had no such interpreter as yourself within the memory of man what a pity there were no scaresby's in the cinquecento how sad there were none of your family here in the medician period what a picture might we have had of a society fuller even than the present of moral delinquencies there was a degree of pomposity in the manner he uttered this that served to conceal in a great measure its sarcasm i am much flattered to learn that i have ever enlightened your excellency on any subject said the major dryly that you have scaresby i was a mere dabbler in moral toxology when i heard your first lecture and i assure you i was struck by your knowledge and how is the dear city doing it is masquerading to-day said scaresby and consequently far more natural than at any other period of the whole year smeared faces and dirty finery exactly its suitable wear who are here major anyone that knows old millington is here the marquis yes he's here fresh painted and lacquered his eyes twinkling with a mock lustre that makes him look like an old pochace with a pair of new lamps ha <laughs> laughed sir horace encouragingly and then there's mabworth sir paul mabworth ay the same old bore as ever he has got off one of burke's speeches on the india bill by heart and says that he spoke it on the question of the grant for maynooth oh if poor burke could only look up look down you ought to say scaresby depend upon it he's not on the opposition benches still i hate the fellow said scaresby whose ill-temper was always augmented by any attempted smartness of those he conversed with he has taken walmsley's cook away from him and never gives any one a dinner that is shameful a perfect dog in the manger worse he's a dog without any manger for he keeps his house on board wages and there's literally nothing to eat that poor thing strajowski oh olga strajowski do you mean what of her why there's another husband just turned up they thought he was killed in the caucasus but he was only passing a few years in siberia and so he has come back and claims all the emeralds you remember of course that famous necklace and the great drops they belong once to the empress catherine but mayworth says that he took the concern with all its dependencies he'll give up his bargain but make no compromise she's growing old i fancy she's younger than the sablikoff by good five years and they tell me she plays beauty to this hour ah scaresby 
had you known what words were these you have just uttered or had you only seen the face of him who heard them you had rather bitten your tongue off than suffered it to fashion them brignolis danced with her at the celebrated fete given by the prince of orleans something like eight-and-thirty years ago and how is the dear duke asked upton sharply just as you saw him at the court of louis the eighteenth he swaggers a little more as he gets more feeble about the legs and he shows his teeth when he laughs more decidedly since his last journey to paris devilish clever fellows these modern dentists are he wants to marry i suppose you've heard it not a word of it who is the happy fair the nina as they call her now she was one of the deliatoris who married or didn't marry glencore don't you remember him he was the colonel of the eleventh and a devil of the martinet he was i remember him said upton dryly well he ran off with one of those girls and some say they were married at capri as if it signified what happened at capri she was a deuced good-looking girl at the time a coquette you know and glencore was one of those stiff english fellows that think every man is making up to his wife he drank besides no pardon me there you are mistaken i knew him intimately glencore was as temperate as myself i have it from lothar who used to take him home at night he said glencore never went to bed sober at all events she hated him and detested his miserly habits another mistake my dear major glencore was never what is called a rich man but he was always a generous one i suppose you'll not deny that he used to thrash her ay and with a horsewhip too come come scaresby this is really too coarse for mere jesting jest by jove it was very bitter earnest she told brignolles all about it i'm not sure she didn't show him the marks take my word for it scaresby said upton dropping his voice to a low but measured tone this is a base calumny and the duke of brignolles no more circulated such a story than i did he is a man of honour and utterly incapable of it i can only repeat that i believe it to be perfectly true said scaresby calmly nobody here ever doubted the story i cannot say what measure of charity accompanies your zeal for truth in this amiable society scaresby but i can repeat my assertion that this must be a falsehood you will find it very hard nevertheless to bring any one over to your opinion retorted the unappeasable major he was a fellow everybody hated proud and supercilious to all and treated his wife's relations who were of far better blood than himself as though they were canaille a loud crash as if of something heavy having fallen here interrupted their colloquy and upton sprang from his seat and hastened into the adjoining room close beside the door so close that he almost fell over it in entering lay the figure of lord glencore in his efforts to reach the door he had fainted and there he lay a cold clammy sweat covering his livid features and his bloodless lips slightly parted it was almost an hour ere his consciousness returned but when it did and he saw upton alone at his bedside he pressed his hand within his own and said i heard it all upton every word i tried to reach the room i got out of bed and was already at the door 
when my brain reeled and my heart grew faint it may have been malady it might be passion i know not but i saw no more he is gone is he not cried he in a faint whisper yes yes an hour ago but you will think nothing of what he said when i tell you his name it was scarsby major scarsby one whose bad tongue is the one solitary claim by which he subsists in a society of slanderers and he is gone repeated the other in a tone of deep despondency of course he is i never saw him since but be assured of what i have just told you that his libels carry no reproach he is a culminator by temperament i'd have shot him if i could have opened the door muttered glencore between his teeth but upton heard the words distinctly what am i to this man cried he aloud or he to me that i am to be arraigned by him on charges of any kind true or false what accident of fortune makes him my judge tell me that sir who has appealed to him for protection who has demanded to be righted at his hand will you not hear me glencore when i say that his slanders have no sting in the circles wherein he mixes it is the mere scandal that amuses for its veracity there is not one that cares you or i or someone else supply the name of an actor in a disreputable drama the plot of which alone interests not the performer and am i to sit tamely down under this degradation exclaimed glencore passionately i have never subscribed to this dictation there is little indeed of life left to me but there is enough perhaps to vindicate myself against men of this stamp you shall take him a message from me you shall tell him by what accident i overheard his discoveries my dear glencore there are graver interests far worthier cares than any this man's name can enter into which should now engage you i say he shall have my provocation and that within an hour cried glencore wildly you would give this man and his words a consequence that neither have ever possessed said upton in a mild and subdued tone remember glencore that i left with you this morning that paper of stuber's which was with a distinct understanding that other and wiser thoughts than those of vengeance were to occupy your attention i never scrupled to place it in your hands i never hesitated about confiding to you what in a lawyer's phrase would be a proof against you when an act of justice was to be done i would not stain it by the faintest shadow of coercion i left you free i leave you still free from everything but the dictates of your own honour glencore made no reply but the conflict of his thoughts seemed to agitate him greatly the man who has pursued a false path in life said upton calmly has need of much courage to retrace his steps but courage is not the quality you fail in glencore so that i appeal to you with confidence i have need of courage muttered glencore you say truly what was it the doctor said this morning aneurysm upton moved his head with an inclination barely perceptible what a nemesis there is in nature said glencore with a sickly attempt to smile 
that passion should beget malady i never knew physically speaking that i had a heart till it was broken so that resumed he in a more agreeable tone death may ensue at any moment on the least excitement he warned you gravely on that point said upton cautiously how strange that i should have come through that trial of an hour ago it was not that the struggle did not move me i could have torn that fellow limb from limb upton if i had but the strength but see cried he feebly what a poor wretch i am i cannot close these fingers and he held out a worn and clammy hand as he spoke do with me as you will said he after a pause i ought to have followed your counsels long ago upton was too subtle an anatomist of human motives to venture by even the slightest word to disturb a train of thought which any interference could only damage as the other still continued to meditate and by his manner and look in a calmer and more reflective spirit the wily diplomatist moved noiselessly away and left him alone End of chapter 52 Recording by Linda Fredericks, Modesto, California, September 2012